change is inevitable. And I am sure that upon hearing that such a simple sentence, half of this room is already cowering at the complexities that come with change. Maybe cringing at the uncertainty and calculating how to keep everything just the way it is. Tyler Cowen, an economist who wrote a book called The Complacent Class, has observed and suggested that America has become resistant to change in recent decades. He says that Americans are, in fact, working much harder than before to postpone change or to avoid it altogether. And while we try to do everything in our power to put off the inevitable, the fact remains that we were made to change. Babies don't remain babies. Toddlers don't keep toddling around for the rest of their lives. No matter how much I want my almost two-year-old Ansel to stay toddling and cute uh, in the puffy jacket he's wearing today because it's so cold outside, I want him to stay that way forever. But our minds seem to have the capacity to hold more and more information as we continue to learn over the years, to read and write and compute. Every moment of our lives is a moment leading toward something new. We were made to evolve, to grow, and to become something greater than what we are right now. And in the same way, we believe that our faith in Christ is meant to grow as well. It was not meant to remain the way it always has been. It's an ongoing relationship, or as I mentioned last week, a continued dialogue of worship between listening and responding to what it is that God is always saying to us. A conversation that God started long ago. Our relationship with God is designed to expand and stretch and take on new meaning over time. This expanding and stretching of faith is what John Wesley, who was the founder of this Methodist movement that uh, started many years ago, calls sanctification. And that big word just simply means a journey of change, a journey of becoming. As we are sanctified, as we become more holy, we are changed into someone who looks more and more like the image of Christ in the world. Someone who lives and moves and has their being. So fully united with Christ that you cannot parse out where you end and Christ begins. This is what it is that Christ longs for from us. So in this sense, change is not something to dread. But rather, it is holy. John Wesley says it a little better 
this way. Entire sanctification, or this journey of change, also called Christian perfection, is neither more nor less than pure love. Love expelling sin and governing both the heart and the life of a child of God. It is no less than pure love. So for John, this entire process of change or sanctification is inextricably linked with pure love or genuine love that we might say. Over the past few weeks in worship, we have talked about this idea of genuine love and this call that God has given to us to act in ways that are genuinely love. And we've been using the beginning of the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. And I read it for us last week, but as we keep reading it, we are trying to capture what it might mean for us to live into this call. For us to live out a love that is genuine. And so I wonder this morning if we might be able to hear it a different way, if we were to hold together these two ideas, the, ideas, the idea of sanctification or uh, the process or journey of change and genuine love, pure love. So as you hear these words, I invite you to hold those things together. And allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten these words in maybe a new way. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality with strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of everyone. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with one another. This is a long list of just a few examples of ways that Paul invites us to live out a genuine love. But I don't believe that all of this, these examples, are just for everyone else out there. I believe that Paul gave us this list uh, and is sharing this with us because taking part in these things... Being a part of genuine love is important for us. It is important for our own spiritual wellness, our own sanctification or journey toward God. To offer love in these ways 
But friends, this kind of love is difficult. To love people who frustrate you. To bless and not curse them. To seek to live in peace with others who you would rather just not. This love is hard. And we are still offered, uh, invited to offer this kind of love, a genuine love, to the world. But in order to do so, we must have a well of love to draw from, to offer. So love must be cultivated. Love grows like a farmer who sows seeds. During the time of Jesus' ministry, he was speaking to a religious context and a culture that had become stagnant. They were so set in their ways, had to do everything by the books, that they couldn't see the forest through the trees. Sometimes they would fixate too firmly on the exact letter of the law that they could not uncover the deep meaning, uh, spiritual meaning that the law was leading toward. The deep love that the law was trying to cultivate in the lives of people of faith. They needed a change. They needed to be renewed. They needed to grow in such a way that love might lead their lives. That love might lead their pursuit of the law rather than the law leading their pursuit of love. So Jesus shared the parable of the sower with them as he was in a boat and in the water and people gathered around him. People of all ages, all stations, the religious um, elite alongside the farmers. And as Jesus was sharing this parable with them, he was indicating that for a plant to bear good fruit, the conditions have to be just right. There needs to be good soil full of nutrients. The farmer needs to tend to the seeds, ensure that they are receiving the water needed for their roots to anchor tight beneath the soil. The sun needs to be shining, unobscured for too long by clouds or impeded by other plants growing alongside them or maybe even the other seedlings that the farmer planted as well. In the same way, Jesus says that for love to grow in us, we need two key ingredients. And he shares these ingredients with the disciples a little bit later as he's gathered with them in a private uh, moment. And he says this, But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another 30. The one who hears the word and understands it. So if we are intended to be the seeds for love 
to be the fruit that we are called to bear. We need an opportunity to not just hear the word, but understand what it is that God is speaking to us through prayer and scripture and worship. We are invited to take the time and give ourselves a space to allow what we hear and absorb deep to what we hear to be absorbed deep in our beings so that the love that we cultivate can be offered to others genuinely. I believe that's why Paul said this to the Romans just a few verses before the passage I read a few moments ago. He says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not remain as you are, is what Paul is sharing with us and the Romans this morning. Do not remain as you are. Do not stay stagnant in the status quo, but rather change Grow and be transformed by renewing your mind. The Greek word that Paul uses here for renewing is anachinoesis, which is used in only one other place in all of Scripture, used by Paul. And it indicates a new development, something new coming, but not something that we can do on our own. But it can only be achieved by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying here to us is that this work of transformation or growth or sanctification is not something we do alone. In fact, it's not something we can do all by ourselves. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we seek to understand God is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit transforming us and shaping us, changing us into who God would have us be. On Sunday mornings, a small group of people gather together both in person and online, to study scripture together. And I have the joy of spending time with this amazing group of people. And for the last several months, we have been slowly meandering through all four Gospels, uh, one chapter at a time. So when we gather together, we read the chapter, each in different voices, as different people offer different parts of the passage from their own perspectives, their own voices, and different translations. And after we read the scripture together and listen and hear it, we spend time in picking it apart, inviting questions, and trying to fully and seek to understand what it is that God is saying to us through that text. And as a facilitator of that discussion, you would expect that I would maybe have some of the answers, and I'm here to tell you that I do not. But it is a moment that is so holy for me 
because I can participate and listen to the ways that uh, the Holy Spirit is inviting questions and other members of this group are responding from their own perspectives, from their own experiences and their own life stories to help others seek to understand maybe in the way that they are. Each and every time we gather together, as I am leaving that room, I leave with a new understanding of a text that I may have heard several times over. I leave transformed renewed by an experience of the Holy Spirit working through the community of faith to renew my own mind. Did you know that plants talk to each other? I did not. And I realize that I am in a room with lots of people who are in the ag profession. I'm looking at you, Brian Myers. But as I was preparing for this sermon, I found as much knowledge as I could find on the internet through various articles and mostly YouTube videos. And I still don't really understand all of the inner workings of how trees and plants grow. But what I did find is that the strongest plants, the strongest trees, are the ones whose roots are intertwined with others, sharing resources and information about the world around them. You see, when the sower scattered the seed... And Jesus' parable, he didn't scatter just one seed, but a handful of seeds that would grow together alongside one another. And so it is with us in this very place. We have been planted here together. And we too are better and stronger when we are together. When we allow the Holy Spirit to to change us through sharing our perspectives and experiences with the people who are right here in this very room. This is what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To grow together on this journey of change. Trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit who does the transforming work with us. Because as we grow together, we are transformed into the image of genuine love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.